0: All right, so since Pastor Ben is away, the great privilege of introducing our guest homilist fell to me, Dr. Mary Pandiani, happens to be one of my very best friends. I met Mary about 20 years ago. I was sitting in a meeting that she was leading, and I don't remember what the meeting was about, but afterward, I remember saying to myself, I want to be friends with her, I still marvel that somehow, over the years, it happened. We're friends. Come over here. This morning, Mary is going to speak to us about two very special midwives. She's uniquely qualified to do so. While she does not come alongside women who are delivering babies into the world, she regularly comes alongside people and organizations as the birth of something new is happening whether offering spiritual direction, or leading contemplative practice retreats or classes, or serving as the interim director of a thriving contemplative community called Sila, Mary is wise and gentle. She knows when to just breathe and when to push, She is sensitive in the moment, and by lovingly listening and staying attuned to the Holy Spirit, she provides guidance on the sacred path that each of us travel. I could go on and on but i promised ben i wouldn't be too long on this introduction so i wrap up by bringing your attention to the fact that mary will be with us this summer in a special way leading a midday middle of the week mini retreats at urban grace like so every week starting on july 11th 12th on 11th Wednesdays. wednesdays um so like Six Wednesdays in a row, six Wednesdays in a row f- from about noon, um, we will get a little uh, taste of really the wonderful giftedness of Mary. So, you're going to want more after you hear this morning, and that's a good way to get it. So, without further ado, my friend Mary. Welcome. Well, <laughs> well good, morning. good
1: morning. It's good to be with you, Urban Grace. Um, I'm fortunate to feel like I've been tangentially a part of your journey from the very beginning of being Urban Grace. And today we have the privilege of encountering the Word of God, not only through the scripture story and and really the um, spoken word, but also in our creativity of our friend Elizabeth Archer Klein, who was the interim pastor before Bren and is a friend to many of us. And as you can tell already, things are emerging from what she's painting. <clears throat> Last fall, I sat in a room with black South Africans, a group of seminarian students, mostly white males with a few from diverse backgrounds, and two white South Africans, one our tour guide and the other our featured speaker. We, the seminarians and advisors visiting from the States, had just enjoyed a traditional Cape Town <clears throat> Um, South African Cape Town style worship service in the township, or some call shantytown. And I'm sorry, Mandela, you're gonna to have. To, I'm gonna pronounce all these words wrong. But Gugllete or Guglietto, um, filled with colorful dress, various uh, dialects, music, and movement. In fact, lots of movement. After lunch, we headed downstairs to meet the pastor and our featured speaker who had a name unfamiliar to me. As we headed down there, congregants, mostly younger folks, warmly greeted us. And before the head pastor of J.L. Schwani Presbyterian Church began with prayer to start our time, I noticed over in the corner the sweet familiarity between two people, our featured white speaker and the black associate pastor. His name was Teo Kiso, as if they had known each other for a long, long time. After prayer, introductions were made and Reverend McKees Mayakiso was given the mic. He then presented the biographical history of our featured guest speaker, Wilhelm Verd. His fame, or rather infamy, is that he is the grandson of Henrik Verd, once the minister and president of South Africa the man credited with being the architect of apartheid. Apartheid, the practice of separating blacks from whites to the extreme of ensuring that blacks held second-class citizenship. No, not second-class. Rather, no citizenship at all. This history is part of the life and blood of Wilhelm Verd, our featured speaker. My attention was piqued. How in the world would this man be considered welcomed in this place? In the room of mostly black South Africans, this man was considered the honored guest? In the ensuing conversation, he shared what, um, what had occurred to change his worldview. once believing that order occurred only when people were separated, a racial hierarchy. He now had an entirely different perspective with a conviction a conviction that all are equal and deserving of dignity, a perspective that entrusted him with a responsibility, not only to speak the truth, but even more so to ask for the forgiveness of the injustices he and his fellow Afrikaans had done, specifically to the blacks of South Africa. The subject of his presentation was fascinating and thought-provoking. But what struck me most was something that happened at the end of our question-and-answer time. When asked a question on how he was able to change his heart-mind perspective, Wilhelm Baird paused and then turned to his friend, the black associate pastor, Akiso, and said, wami," which, again, I butchered in Zulu, <laughs> but means friend. And he turned to him and he said, what are your thoughts on this question? To be clear, whites in South Africa still have quite a bit of power, even in their minority status and decreasing influence. Verd certainly had the place and position to say what he had for an answer. But instead, he chose to turn to his black friend the one who had encountered apartheid as the paralyzing and destructive system that it was and asked his friend the question, what do you think? At which point, Reverend Mayakuso said, he listened and he acted. Today we are encountering another story of power and listening. It's the kind of listening that opens up space so that something can be birthed. Two women, midwives by vocation, chose to creatively resist the power above them as they listened to the one who is more all-knowing, more all-powerful, and most significantly, all-loving. Because of their courageous action, they listened into being, a phrase I like to use when we hear another story and really listen. They listened into being an entire population. It's a story I like to call the creative resistors who listened. So hear the story. From Exodus 1, starting at verse 12. But the harder the slave drivers pushed the Israelites, the more rapidly the children spread throughout the land. Because of this, the Egyptians grew to detest the Israelites even more and violently forced them to work until they were sore and tired, far beyond exhaustion. The Egyptians made life bitter for those Israelites forced to mix mortar, make bricks, and do all types of grueling work in the fields. They tormented their Israelite slaves until all the work was done. Pharaoh, Egypt's king, called for some of the Hebrew midwives. Their names were Shiphrah and Puah. Pharaoh said, listen closely. Whenever you are looking after a Hebrew woman who is in labor and ready to deliver, if she gives birth to a son, kill the baby. If it is a daughter, allow her to live. The midwives respected God more than they respected Pharaoh, or even feared Pharaoh. So they did not carry out the Egyptian king's command. Instead, they let all the boys live. When the Egypt king heard this news, he went for, sent for the midwives and Pharaoh said, why have you disobeyed my orders and allowed the boys to live? The midwives responded, uh, because unlike Egyptian women, Hebrew women are hearty and energetic and they give birth before the midwives arrives to help. Hmm. God was good to the midwives. And under their care, the Israelite woman had many more children. Despite Pharaoh's orders, the people of Israel became stronger and more powerful. Because the midwives respected God, he blessed them with families of their own. Will you pray with me as we continue on? Holy God, with this story and with so many other stories that we are well aware of, and perhaps those stories that we haven't heard. Open our hearts, our minds, our souls, even our bodies to receive what it is that you have for us this morning, that we may carry it forward in the call that you have for us. In your name, amen. So to fully appreciate the story of Exodus, the focus of Exodus, listen to these Hebrew words. Wa'aleh Shemat, meaning now these are the names. Wa'aleh Shemat. That's actually what Exodus means. The writer wants us to know in this book of the Torah that these are the important people. These are the ones we need to remember all throughout Exodus. These are the stories we want to always share and remember. These are the names to remember. The two names I hope you remember when you leave this place are Pua and Shipra, two women, two midwives, who honestly, until I was asked to preach this by Ben, I had never heard. I'd only known that there were midwives that had saved the Hebrew boys, but I didn't even know their names. And here's what's interesting. These two women, two midwives, two world changers, were only doing what was right the right thing to do or what you might say lived into the righteousness of God although I suspect if you asked them they wouldn't have said it that way they would have just said I was doing my job only doing what was right how did they do it I say through creative resistance Egypt was getting crowded it was being filled with the wrong kind of people according to the Egyptians Generations back, Pharaoh had actually asked Joseph, a Hebrew prisoner, a dream interpreter, cut off from his family to join his court. And as a result, Joseph was then later able to invite all the other Hebrews, then called Israelites because Jacob, his father, was given the name Israel. They were able to come down into Egypt during a famine. And for many years, they lived in peace until, as we read in the scripture, the Israelites were made slaves. Now, those who had been welcomed in through hospitality had, under ruthless leadership, become prisoners of the culture. And here's where Pua and Shipra come in. These two women were in charge of all the midwives in the area. The midwives, according to some scholars, since not much is known about the birthing process, other than having midwives and birthing stools, were perhaps unable to have children themselves. And so they became quite adept at helping others give birth. They have been told by Pharaoh to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys under their care. Pharaoh wants to annihilate the threat, his own type of birth genocide, if you will, to keep the population down, to keep it weak. And now the story gets interesting. The writer of Exodus sets the stage by focusing attention on a particular fact, stressed by his introduction of the king of Egypt. The pharaoh is not named. We don't know his name. We only know him as the king. But we do know the names of the two midwives. The Exodus story reveals that Pua and Shipra, two women of seemingly insignificance, are the ones named. They are the ones to be remembered for their acts of reflecting that they had listened to God first. The plot thickens when the Hebrew baby boys continue to survive. While it is clear that the two midwives heard Pharaoh, they have not done what was asked of them. Pharaoh comes back to the woman with a question. Oddly, instead of a command and a death threat, perhaps he too, perhaps unconsciously, subconsciously knows that there's something of significance in these two women. So he just tells them again, make sure you do what I've told you to do, obey me. Now their explanation says that the Hebrew women gave birth more easily in comparison to the Egyptian women really <laughs> Pharaoh seems to accept their reasoning This response of the woman of the women is in line with which, what has been debated over time Did they actually lie directly not unlike many people who have found themselves in situations when they need to protect the innocent, or if the woman just embellished the truth. One theory in researching these birth methods for this time period provided this. The midwives knew if they waited to arrive for the birth until after the baby was born on purpose, they wouldn't be able to perform the murder. The baby would already be in the arms of the woman the mother. That means all of the midwives, because Shipra and Puer were overseers, if you will, of all those midwives, shared in the same ethos, a silent agreement, perhaps, to be creative resistors to allow for life. They allowed something to be born, even in the face of power, that wasn't supposed to survive. Here's where we find something in the story for ourselves. In our world today, various powers overwhelm us. But we, like Shipra and Pua, have choices to make. We are asked, unfortunately, to kill something every day that is good, whether it is relationships, truth, meaningfulness, kindness, violent acts required by forces beyond our control, demands by powers greater than our own. Can we stand up to them? Can we be creative resistors? Do we have the courage to do what is right, to obey God in the face of danger, to listen? Where does courage begin? It starts in that act of listening. Listening to God. Listening to others. Even listening to ourselves. Every day we drown out the voices that deliver life. We forget that we're called to be midwives to one another, to allow for the sacred space of something being born in and through another. Pua and Shipra stood guard over the lives of the Hebrew baby boys. They allowed for the births to take place. They creatively resisted the voice of power by stepping in to protect. They risked their lives for another. For Pua and Shipra, they changed the world. Their act of creative resistance revealed their courage. Their choice to preserve life gave us Moses. Moses, who delivered his people. The two women, the two midwives, may never have known the consequence of their courage, but we do. And so do the Israelites. And they are honored, these two women, by being named. They are honored in the choice of listening and acting. May we too listen and act. Let this story be an encouragement, one that provides courage to be women and men whose offspring, partners in life, friends, communities, even nation, will find our names worthy of mentioning because we creatively resisted and listened. Like Wilhelm Verd and his friend, Reverend Teo Meaquizo. They were able to listen and hear one another in such a way that they developed a friendship, a relationship that was able to cross racial divides to impact change in a culture. You realize that it was one thing for Wilhelm there to offer an apology. It is also an act of courage, an act of courage to receive it and to establish a friendship. By Reverend Teo Miokiso. It was a relationship based not on power, but on listening. So whether it's the son of an architect of apartheid offering public and historic apology, or one who suffered greatly under the system of division and cruelty, or a midwife who saved a life, these acts of courage can give birth to something beyond our wildest imagination that can change the world. As Sheila shared, I am a spiritual director. I'll confess that it's hard for me to believe that I can change the world by simply listening something into being in the sacred space of God's presence. But after my experience witnessing the relationship between Verd and Mia Kiso, I've come to believe with more conviction that big change, big changes start with trusting relationships where we simply listen and then choose to respond with action. And perhaps that's where you can start to begin by listening, then respond with what has been placed on your heart to do what is right in the eyes of God. What I'd like you to be able to do, something that you have now sort of incorporated as a tradition, is to be able to light a candle. And however it is that you would like to respond, whether it's a prayer for yourself, a prayer for our world, a prayer for someone in particular, something that has actually moved you, the way I like to say, has been invited, you've been invited to respond with to God, to take this opportunity to light a candle and stick it in the sand as your act of prayer, of listening and responding.